0: Real quick, pray with me. Jesus, I pray that you will give us ears to hear. I pray that you will give us eyes to see. I pray that you will give us a heart to receive. And I pray this morning that you would give me the words to speak. That you would move, that your spirit would speak into our hearts this morning. May we hear from your word this morning and be glorifying to you. Amen. So in week one of this series, Greater Than, we learned of Paul's call to believers in Colossae to build upon the faith that they had put in Christ Jesus. And he goes on towards the middle of chapter 1 and verses 13 and 14 of Colossians 1. He says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. So we see here that There's a faith that has been built, has begun in the people in Colossae. But we also know by looking at chapter 1 that there was what they call a heresy, a false teaching that had begun to creep into the church. And so we see Paul kind of going back and forth between teaching Christology, teaching the the teachings of Christ and, and what they mean, but also showing us how to live them out and encouraging the believers in Colossae to continue to grow in their faith. So what does it look like when we walk that out, when we walk out our faith? when we live into what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. You see, I I believe that a lot of churches do really good at telling you about Jesus, about telling you about what you need to do to have a relationship with Jesus, but we don't do the greatest at helping you live it out. And so what Paul literally is doing in a lot of this letter is showing them this is how you do it. These are the things that you put into your faith, the praxis of it, the practice of your faith. So in good uh, pastorly fashion, um, I've come up with uh, four F words. And guess what? They're not that word. So don't like go there, because I realized as I said that, it was like, wow, uh, that's kind of not where I wanted to go with the four F words. Um, so I promise I will not use that word four times. We'll do, we'll do different F words. The, the first one comes from Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7. He says, so then, Just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. So the first word that we see is follow up there can't just be a simply jesus i ask you to come into my life i acknowledge that i am a sinner and i and i need you to forgive me of my sins so that i can have eternal life with god the father case closed that's it go back to doing whatever you were doing you're good let's go you know he, he's saying that that's not it you have to continue to live into what it means to be a follower of Jesus. When he starts out and he uses the phrase, just as, he's connecting the readers to what he's already said previously. And I'm not going to go through everything that I've said previously. If you missed those messages, go online. They're online. You can go back and look at them. What he's saying here is you have to do the work. Jesus has already done the redeeming. Jesus has already done the redeeming through dying on the cross, through the resurrection. Now we have to live into what it means to have faith in Jesus. There's work that has to be done. Paul lays out, in just these two verses, four dimensions of walking in Christ. The first one is rooted in. That you should be rooted in Christ. What does that mean? It means, that's where you begin. It means that you're you're continuing to grow those roots. When your roots stop growing, what happens? You begin to die. So you're continuously building on your faith, which is actually the second one, when he says built up, that your faith would be rooted in and built up, continuing to grow into what it means to be a follower of Jesus. He goes on and he says strengthening. One of the things that... I'm learning, I already knew, but now I'm physically learning. Is that if you have a muscle and you don't use it, you tend to find it later when you try to use it and it hurts like crazy, right? I love, um, Samantha is gonna be a freshman this next year. Like, that's a whole nother, like, pray for me type of thing. Pray, pray for her, really. So she's going to be a freshman. And so um, she started going to um, weights and conditioning in the mornings with Josh Greentree, who's the weights and conditioning coach at the high school. And she came home one day and she was like, "I found muscles I didn't know I had." And like she's like flinging her arms all over the place because they're like noodles. And but that's the thing. If you don't use a muscle,
1: it goes weak.
0: If we're not growing in our faith, we're going backwards. But then we code it. We, we over the top of those three things of being rooted in and built up and strengthened, we code it all with thanks to God. Overflowing with thanks to God. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, Paul said, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. You better thank God for the opportunities you get to grow in your faith. And you know what? A lot of the opportunities that we get handed to us to grow in our faith aren't things we want to happen to us. Because how do we grow the most? How do we grow the best? When something challenges our faith, when something challenges what we believe, and we have to stand in the midst of that chaos, that pain and suffering, and actually live out what we've professed with our mouth. It is by grace that you've been saved through faith. The second F word is foundation. This brings us back to the purpose of Paul's letter. In Colossians 2 verse 8, he says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive Philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. You see, the thing that we have to always come back to are those foundational beliefs in Jesus Christ. If you start a conversation that has Jesus in it, and you're talking about a belief about something, and you start to go down a trail, the conversation starts to go, and you know, this person believes this thing, you believe this thing, and you guys go back and forth, and you don't come back to Jesus Christ, but you're stuck on this is your opinion, this is my opinion, you've lost the foundation. Because it's now become about what you think and about what everyone else thinks and not about what Christ says. You've taken the foundational truths of the gospel
1: and you've muddied it up.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the 21st century of denominations. We've muddied it up. Paul's choice words here are very pointed and direct. As to the weight of the situation, when he uses this phrase, see to it that no one takes you captive. You see, this was a powerful phrase then because he was using slavery language. And the Hebrew people would have been familiar with what he was saying. The people that he was talking to would have been familiar with what he was talking about when he used language relating to slavery. They would have felt the weight of what it's like to not have Christ at the center of what you believe. That you were literally brought into a bondage that you're held prisoner by something that's not true. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. Paul is by no means against using reason. I mean, when you read the letters of Paul he he encourages us to use reason but what he says in these philosophical in this philosophical thinking is that he's talking about this particular philosophy and what he's he uses the word deceptive That's an important word. Don't just see philosophy and think all philosophy is wrong. But it's this deceptive philosophy. What is deceptive about it? It takes you away from the truth. If the truth is not at the center of an argument, it becomes deceptive. See, this hollow and deceptive philosophy that Paul is referring to is this heresy or this false teaching that had been brought into the church which undermined the basic Christian doctrines of creation, the incarnation, and the mediation of Christ. It began to challenge those things. It said that God in the material world could not come into direct relation with each other. Therefore, we could not be God's handiwork. The divine Word of God could not become flesh and communicate with humanity. God was out there somewhere and did not have a relationship, did not have a connection with the material world. That was what was being brought into the church. When Paul speaks of human traditions, he's not speaking against all traditions that we make. Don't hear that word and think, yeah, I can think of a lot of traditions that we should get rid of. That's, that's not, he's not saying all traditions are bad. Paul is speaking specifically against traditions that run counter to the essential truths of the Christian faith in life. If a tradition overshadows
1: Christ, it's in the
0: way. If a tradition becomes more important than the speaking and preaching and witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's in the way. Jesus Christ always has to be the center I'll never forget being in a seminary class. We had a great preaching professor. And and one of my fellow student mates got up and he gave his sermon in front of the rest of us. Uh, If you ever want to be in a stressful situation... Have to give a message in front of nine other pastors and a professor who has a doctorate in preaching. That's like what he does for a living. Um, He wrote the book on, (laughs) like, that's like a pastor's worst nightmare, okay? Long story, make it a lot shorter here. Uh, The student gave his testimony. And I'll never forget the words that the professor said to the student. He says, now I want you to hear me carefully. What you said in your testimony is powerful. But make sure that the people hearing walk away hearing more about Jesus than they do about you. And all the rest of us went, oh, crud. Changing all our notes, right? And that's the case in any situation. If giving glory to God and what Jesus has done in our lives is overshadowed by our part in the story, we miss the significance of being saved by grace through faith. Third thing is fullness. In verses 9-12, through 12, Paul writes, For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. Can you say amen to that? In Him... You were also circumcised with the circumcision, not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through your faith in the working of God who raised Him
1: from the dead. Fullness
0: in life, fullness in faith is not found in the things that we do. It's found in what Christ has already done for us. It's in Christ that our fullness can be found as a follower of Christ. Says, for in Christ all the fullness of the deity, the deity is God. And he uses a capital D, meaning the one true God, versus a lowercase d, meaning other gods, other than the one true God. So he says, for in Christ all the fullness of the deity, the Father, God the Father, lives in bodily form in Christ Jesus. So though He was man, He was fully man, He was also fully God. And He is the head over every power
1: and authority.
0: Occasionally you might hear people say, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. You know, That's a great phrase to hear, but it is so shallow in the significance of describing what has actually taken place in our lives as followers of Jesus. We we sang this song right before I got up here called Graves into Gardens. You know, it's always weird to me how flowers grow in cemeteries by themselves. They're not always the prettiest things, but they grow. Graves into gardens. You see the significance of being saved by grace. Yeah, you are a sinner and you were saved by grace, but you were also dead. Dead. Lifeline. You had no significance in this world apart from Christ Jesus. And He gives your life purpose. Because the purpose that you were created from always goes back to the Creator. Our purpose was always meant to be to glorify God. And when our lives Don't reflect Christ when our lives don't show that what God has done in our lives. It's showing the death that's in us. But he has taken something that was dead and brought it to life. I've not been able to do that. Honestly, I don't know that I've even tried. Because I'm that confident in my failure rate. I, I don't know
1: that I could bring something back from the dead.
0: But when we give our lives to Christ, when we surrender to Jesus Christ, fully, he takes something that was dead and he brings it back to life. And the last one is a finished, work. Verses 13 through 15, Paul writes, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive in Christ. He forgave us of our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away and nailed it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. He has given us life. We have been made alive with Christ. Your charges have been erased. The guilt that weighs you down each and every day. You need to ask yourself, why am I carrying it? For some of us, we haven't learned from it yet. We haven't learned from that sin in our life. We we haven't learned from the thing that we did that we shouldn't have done, and it's still weighing on us. We need to deal with it. We, We need to acknowledge, one, that we did it. We need to ask ourselves why it was done. We need to figure out what we need to do so that we stop doing it. Then we need to ask for forgiveness for doing it. But if we've done those things, we need to ask ourselves, why is that guilt still on us? Because that debt has been erased. That sin has been
1: forgiven. What guilt
0: are we carrying today? It says that having disarmed the powers and authorities, the very people who put him on the cross couldn't keep him there. And you're like, what are you talking about? He died. He died. They put him in a grave. That means they won. <laughs> you see, we think that Easter is about him dying. Easter's not about him dying. Because if he just died, let's go home, pack it up. I need to find a new career path. The significance of his death hinges on the resurrection. In order for us to have life in Christ, Christ had to conquer the very thing that held us down. The very grave that we were meant to go into for eternity was conquered by Christ's conquering of that grave
1: for us.
0: but it was a finished work. It's already been done. Now as followers of Christ, we have to live into that faith that we have. The hope that is in Christ Jesus. What's that look like for you? What's that look like for me? You see, the beauty of the church is that we all bring different messes with us, right? We've all been different places. We've all been through different experiences. And that's not by happen chance, I don't think. You see, that's the beauty of the church. When I led an a addiction recovery group in Hartford City, I loved that group. Because they just, they spilled their guts. Like, they didn't hold anything back. I heard things, like, I'm pretty sure, like, as an adult, I never wanted to hear. Like, I'm not even going to go there because you don't want to hear. Just think of, like, worst case scenario stuff and then add to it. it. I mean, it was bad. But the only way they were able to grow was by being supported by each other. And I can't tell you the number of times that someone would feel like they were alone, would feel like they were in this all by themselves and that they were experiencing this difficulty all by themselves, and someone would say, you know what, I experienced that same thing. And I'm here to tell you that I was able to conquer it through Jesus Christ. And now all of a sudden, this person is speaking into this person's life, not about addiction, but about Christ's power over that addiction. But you see, one of the biggest travesties of the church today is that we don't bring our mess with us. We put on our best clothes we put on our best smile, and we've got it all together for that one hour on Sunday morning. And then that weight just gets dumped right back on us as we go out the door to live our life, and we have to carry it all by ourselves. But we were never meant to carry it by ourselves. We were meant to be in community. We were meant to to live for each other. It's not a coincidence that when... Jesus would ask what the greatest commandment was. He he gave them two, and he put them together. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. See, we were meant to live together. We were meant to grow as followers of Christ together. What does that mean? One of the things is accountability. Now, if that's not an F word, I don't know what is. We don't, we don't like that word. I'm just going to put this out there. I'm a United Methodist pastor. I'm going to put it out there. I'm going to throw myself under the bus on this. The problems that we have in the United Methodist Church right now I believe, come back to accountability. We have not been held accountable. Pastors have not been held accountable to what we teach, to how we behave, to how we lead. It's just how it is. We've got work to do. I honestly believe that. And as followers of Christ, if we're going to take our faith seriously, we've got to get back to that accountability. Why did Paul write this letter? He was holding them accountable. This was the faith that you believed. This was the faith that you were taught. Anything contrary to that is false. It's not truth. And he held them accountable to it.
1: You can't read very many... I don't know that you can read
0: any of Paul's letters... And not find accountability woven within the leather. He will tell them, this is how you were meant to live. This is what Christ did for you. Now this is what it's going to have to do
1: to live into it. Accountability to each other. Accountability to me. Accountability together. Stand with me.
0: If you would just reach out your hands and, and just receive this blessing. Jesus, I pray that your spirit would speak into our hearts today. I pray that you will help us. If if we have asked you to be in our lives, if we have surrendered to you, help us to see where we have put other things in front of your truth. That we have put other things above your truth. God, help us to live into what it means to be fully devoted followers of Christ. God, I pray that we, as a body of Christ, as the, the church, would get back to a place where it's okay to be ourselves because we don't have to fear what someone else is going to think of us because we know that we're going to be loved, that we're going to be held accountable in love, so that we can become. Healthier, stronger followers of you. May your love, may your grace, and your mercy overwhelm us this week as we seek to live into being disciples of an almighty God. Amen.